Good afternoon. It's Wednesday, the 5th of August 2020, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News. Your host today, Mike Robinson, myself, Brian Gerrish. And we're delighted to be joined by Alex Thompson, um, bringing us Eastern approaches from the Netherlands. We are in serious times. I think, uh, Mike, we've had some serious um, news programmes before, but I think today's is going to be exceptional. We must be close to seeing a coup operating in this country. Well, we're starting off with uh, with containment. Lots of emails this morning from people asking about this. So the Telegraph here, councils can demolish contaminated buildings under new powers to stop second coronavirus wave. Uh, many other mainstream media covering this. Now, the first thing to note is these aren't new powers. Uh, what uh, the government has done is to produce some guidelines for councils about how they can use existing powers to be even more draconian than they have been up until this point. Um, so uh, let's have a look at uh, where this is coming from. It's this document, uh, Guidance, COVID-19 Contained framer, fr Framework, sorry, a guide for local decision makers. So that's COVID-19 Contained Framework. Uh, and uh, let's have a look at what it says then. Um, it says this framework sets out how national and local partners will work with the public at a local level to prevent, contain and manage outbreaks, outbreaks of COVID-19. Of course, successful management of local outbreaks is a core element of NHS test and traces ambition to break the chains of COVID-19 transmission to enable people to return and maintain a more normal way of life. Um, so we're not going back to anything like normality, as most people would understand it. Well, Mike, I did a lot of travelling yesterday. The roads um, M M5, M1, unbelievably quiet. So it was quite clear that the country's not back to normal. And then you see the confusion of people with face masks. So we're, we're in a very... Uh, dangerous position at the moment. Okay, so let's see what else, how it goes on. It says managing outbreaks is very dynamic. The overarching aim is to empower local decision makers to act at the earliest stage for local incidents and ensure swift national support is readily available where needed. Continuous improvement is critical, they say. Um, so uh, it goes on. Uh, man uh, that's a duplicate slide. Apologies for that. It goes on to say six principles support effective implementation of an integrated uh, national and local system. First of all, the primary responsible, the responsibility is to make the public safe. Uh, so they're going to make us safe, Brian. Uh, that's very key. Yeah, th these. To, uh, I started to see these documents back uh, uh, right in the early 2000s, Mike, and these are Soviet-style documents. When you look at them, the language, the plans, the long-term plans, the short-term plans, everybody working to a plan. Uh, Alex may like to comment on this, but I'm going to say this this is Soviet-style stuff. Okay, we don't get a choice, though, because we're being made safe. Uh, it goes on to build on public health expertise, use the systems approach. Well, that's the type of language that you're talking about. Uh, be open with data and insight so everyone can protect themselves and others. I think what that means, uh, Brian, is that they're going to use the data and insight to build a narrative uh, which will encourage people, it will nudge people uh, to do certain things under the guise of protecting themselves and others. Uh, they will build consensus between decision makers to secure trust, confidence and consent. This is key. Now, keep this in mind. They're claiming consent here. We'll come on to that in a second. Uh, follow well-established emergency management principles. Uh, and consider equality, economic, social and health related impacts of decisions. So then we read on and it says wherever possible actions to address outbreaks of COVID-19 will be undertaken in partnership with local communities on the basis of inform informed engagement and consent wherever possible. But if it, is, if it isn't possible, don't worry about it because it's going to happen anyway. Well, and also then they, they, they have completely stamped down on informed. There is, there is no consent with informed because at the moment the British government doesn't want anybody to see any counter opinion or narrative to their COVID pandemic and the response to it. So there is to be no informed and we're going to be showing later in the news that there is there is now a very serious attack on free speech coming. Uh, absolutely. And uh, to address more serious and wider spread cases, ministers will be able to use their existing powers under the Public Health Control of Disease Act 1984 to implement more substantial restrictions, which could include closing businesses and venues in whole sectors uh, and also closing businesses and venues 
within a defined geographical area. Uh, we've sort of had a hint of that already. Um, so what else are they saying? Imposing general restrictions on movement of people. Very key part of this is travel. Travel is going to be shut down. You will not get the opportunity to travel even well, in Wales during the main part of the, uh, the national lockdown, the so-called national lockdown, people weren't allowed to travel further than five miles from their homes. Uh, this is clearly going to be extended on a local basis, uh, imposing restrictions on gatherings, limiting how many people can meet and whether they can travel in and out of an area to do so. This is repeated over and over again. Restricting local or national transport systems, closing them entirely or introducing capacity limits or geographical restrictions. Uh, mandating the use of face coverings in a wider range of public places. Uh, and as I say, the Telegraph suggests that these are new powers. They're not new powers. They have been in existence for a while, it's, but they haven't been uh, described in one document in this way before. So this is new. So here are some of the uh, regulations and acts of Parliament that they're relying on. The Health Protection Coronavirus Restrictions, England number three, Regulations 2020. And this gives the power of to local authorities to cl uh, close individual premises, close public outdoor spaces and restrict events with immediate effect if they conclude it is necessary and proportionate to do so in order to respond to a serious or, serious or imminent threat to public health and control the transmission of COVID-19 in its area. Uh, they're relying on the Public Health Control of Disease Act, sections 45G, H and I. Uh, local authorities can make an application to a justice of the peace in the magistrate's court to impose restrictions or requirements to close contaminated premises, close public spaces in the uh, area of the local authority, to det detain a conveyance or movable structure, disinfect or decontaminate premises, or order that a building, conveyance or structure be destroyed. Now, they don't define in this document what uh, the definition of uh, de contaminated is. Uh, so we don't know exactly how that's going to be uh, agreed. I presume that's in the Control of Diseases Act uh, 1984, uh, but that's not clear. Uh, then Food Safety Act 1990, they're relying on. That's going to allow them to close a food business. Uh, then we've got the uh, Health Protection Local Authority Powers Regulations 2010. Uh, Regulation 8, local authorities have a limited power to request persons uh, or groups of persons to, to, uh, to do or refrain from doing anything by serving a notice for the purpose of preventing, protecting against, controlling or providing a public health response to the incidence or spread of infection or contamination which presents or could present significant harm to public health. Now, what I thought was interesting in this little section was they have a limited power to request persons or groups of persons to do those things or to refrain from doing those things. Uh, but I'm going to suggest right up front that that limited power will be forgotten about as this uh, becomes uh, implemented. Uh, local authorities will justify taking certain actions on the Health Protection Regulations 2010 and they will extend that limited power to be an unlimited power. Yep. This, this has been their attitude from the beginning. Uh totally agree with that Mike. The local authorities of course love power, they want more power. I've said it before when Tony Blair visited Plymouth many years ago, the local authority complained that they couldn't do certain things and his reply in front of uh, a then a good member of the press was you've been given special powers, you should use them. So everything was about giving power to the local authority. This is the city state. And of course, when people who are greedy get power, they want more power. So they're going to interpret this in any way they want. And I will say the government is going to back them up because the government wants the power taken away from the individual and given to these fiefdoms which are being set up. Uh, perhaps we could bring Alex in here because I've got to say this is Soviet um, it's, it's the Conservative Party introducing what um, all my professional training says is Soviet policy. Quite, quite amazing. Britain and the English-speaking countries are pretty rare in the world, actually, Brian, in that they do not give police, mayors and local authorities blanket permission to close venues, which is a euphemism for political and religious activities, by the way, as well as uh, all other kinds of association. Most countries have that in their constitution already. And of course, with us leaving the United, with the United Kingdom leaving the European Union, we were told that we would leave this model of law behind in which the de facto constitution of the EU 
and enshrined in Britain in the Human Rights Act 1998, claimed that there were always uh, limits to our uh, immunities and that if it were in the necessary and proportionate in the public interest, they could be shut. But now it's becoming a bit obvious that the thinking uh, at administrative level uh, resides in Britain, not just overseas, that these uh, rights can be curtailed. And there is also a new branch of law in Britain. It's on the rise, particularly in England and Wales. Judicial Review, um, JR for short, which is simply a British version of administrative law, as it's known on the continent, which is a way of having a kind of quick and dirty case against a government body like a local council and saying you've infringed my rights. And the it's supposedly a, a, a streamlined service. But of course, it's always stacked in the government's favour. People uh, will uh, sorry, be encouraged just... if they have problems. Sorry, just let me interrupt, interrupt you there, because uh, the government just announced uh, on Monday, I think it was, that they're beginning to uh, run a review of the judicial review process, so that we may not even have that option in the very near future. Uh, that's true. Suella Braverman, the Attorney General for England, Wales and Northern Ireland, uh, who was a, 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 an acquaintance of mine at Cambridge, actually, um, has said that she wants to question the, the burgeoning use of judicial review because uh, Westminster style governments, and particularly the one in uh, England and Wales, are uh, very keen on having no judicial bounds to their power. But the whole of judicial review, although it's judges in wigs and robes, at least, is not really uh, a, a true common law court process. It's a different and new branch of law, a novel approach. And on the continent, they don't even pretend they don't make no bones about it. It is a government uh, process, basically. At least it starts off that way. So people with increasing uh, objections to possibly their homes and their places of worship and association being bulldozed and being uh, written off as condemned buildings should look back to the proper common law remedies of holding individual men and women to account by name in proper courts, which, of course, is a path which we're not going to be told we have. Uh, absolutely. So we, we are watching a complete a complete propaganda set up um, here, Alex, because uh, the minimum is that the public are not being told the truth, but the public are being fed documents and press releases from government which are designed to skew the facts and to mislead the population. So we've got an enabling act coming along. Uh, we've got the propaganda to go with it. And something we've been warning on for, well, many years, is the clampdown on free speech. And we're going to say at this point, UK Column is going to be asking our viewers and readers for every assistance they can give uh, because we can now demonstrate the attack has finally turned on us. Let's have a look at this. So this is an email from an organisation called NewsGuard. came in a few days ago. It was followed by some others. They got very pushy. Dear Mr Gerrish, my name is Bron Mayer and I'm a journalist with NewsGuard, a service which reviews news and information websites for credibility and transparency. I'm reaching out because I've been assigned to carry out our review for UKcolumn.org and I have some questions about the site. Would you be the best person to address with these queries? Many thanks for your time. If you have any questions about NewsGuard or our rating process, please do let me know. We incorporate quotes from our correspondences into our published reviews. So just to give you a heads up, this exchange ought to be considered on the record. Well, that was very big of him, uh, very big. Uh, let's have a look at the questions uh, here that they came up with. Um, now, we found this very significant because uh, although the opening was very friendly, the meat of these emails, very in-depth questions to do with uh, COVID, but also cancer. Uh, so let's have a look. Uh, this is uh, part of another email that he sent through. One article published earlier this month, Lockdown Deaths, Not COVID Deaths, argues that the majority of deaths reported as COVID-9 mortality were lockdown regime deaths, not COVID-19 deaths. That's what the UK column said. The article explained that these deaths primarily arose because those who had died had other illnesses, for example, heart conditions or cancer, and they either couldn't or wouldn't access hospital treatment. 
The article also claims that COVID-19 has been circulating for at least a year and yet there was no notable increase in unseasonal mortality anywhere until lockdown regimes were imposed. Is it possible this article confused cause with effect? So quite a detailed question and then the little uh, stinging question comment. Let's get to the next bit. One May 2019 article which appeared on the UK Columns front page uh, is titled GC Math and the Pro uh, Prosecution, sorry, Persecution of David Noakes, Lynn Tyron immunobiotech. The article claims that the scientific evidence clearly shows that GCMAF is potentially the most effective cancer treatment ever discovered. Again, the body of scientific evidence here does not seem to clearly point in that direction yet. In an article evaluating studies of GCMAF, for example, cancer research stated that there is no solid scientific evidence to show that the treatment is safe or effective. Is it possible a reader encountering this article might come away with a misleading picture of the protein's uh, demonstrated efficacy? Um, so this is a very, very uh, interesting and I'm going to say dangerous organisation making this very gentle approach to us. But of course, everything this organisation does has a big sting in the tail. We're going to take a look into this because as uh, NewsGuard has said in their own email, everything is for the public record. Well, the question is, what are they doing? Now, of course, what they're attempting to do is to build a list of trustworthy uh, news websites. Uh, and this is what this all comes down to, of course, is trust. We've been talking about this for a long time. So looking at uh, the timeline that we have on the UK Column website on the censorship agenda, we start to see the term trust uh, coming in in about uh, November 2017 here. Uh, Mark Centre for Applied Ethics establishes the Trust Project, uh, and they describe itself uh, as a consortium of top news companies, including uh, the DPA News Agency, The Economist, The Globe and Mail, Hearst Television, Independent Journal Review, Haymarket Media, The Institute for Nonprofit News, uh, La Repubblica and La Stampa from Italy, Reach PLC, which of course is pretty much ubiquitous across local news uh, in the UK, as well as owning the Express and the Mirror uh, and the Washington Post. Uh, and so their aim is to produce, was to produce trust indicators, which they described as standardized disclosures that provide clarity and news organizations ethics and other standards for fairness and accuracy. So that's uh, back in 2017. Then if we move on to 2018, Theresa May uh, was announcing effectively the online harms uh, Future legislation hasn't come in just yet. They're going to be uh, really running with this in the autumn. Uh, but the white paper was out last, uh, last year, if you remember. Um, and uh, what did she say here? The loss of trust is usually damaging. Uh, and it's in all her interest to address that. So uh, she, that's what the, the online harms legislation was all about. Then also in 2018 in March, uh, Matt Hancock uh, launched the government review into the mainstream media at the Oxford Media Convention. This, of course, became the Cairn Cross Review. Uh, and he was saying that trusted, sustainable, high-quality media is needed now more than ever. So this is all about trust. Uh, that led into the Cairn Cross Review, as he announced there. And the Cairn Cross Review also uh, very much focused on trust. Now, if you want to know much more about how we've got to this point, uh, if you head over to the UK column website about uh, a third of the way down, you'll find this graphic uh, with a huge big red censored on it. If you click on that, it will take you to that timeline, and it will take you right through from pretty much the beginning of, of this uh, process of shutting down free speech in the UK. And it is pretty much UK-led. Uh, the, EU, the EU and the United States have got involved uh, after the fact, but it's pretty much uh, UK-led. Um, and, uh, and it takes you right up to the, uh, the, the release of the white paper on the online harms legislation, uh, which, uh, as I say, will be uh, produced in the autumn. Yeah. Now, before we take the uh, lid off uh, NewsGuard, Alex, What's your, what's your response to that first uh, thing that's come in from them? It's, it's written in a very gentle way. They're such nice people. Well, maybe not. We'll have a look at that. What's your reaction? This is not journalism, nor is it the monitoring of journalism. And, well, we can quibble about how well written these questions were that uh, Bron sent you. Uh, by the way, some, sometimes Bron is a female name. It's short for Bronwen, but uh, possibly male in this case. I don't know. But look at the way in which it's formulated. Asking a rhetorical question is famously something which leaves out logic. 
right? To ask a rhetorical question is already to lead a, uh, and to uh, insinuate in a certain direction. You can only do that in court or philosophy once you have got the logic and the facts sorted. There is not even an attempt here by a news card uh, to ascertain whether you have an evidentiary basis for what's claimed in the respective articles. It leaps straight to, is it possible that people could be misled or that you have got confused? This is guardianship of the people. This is something akin to Napoleonic France or pre-Napoleonic or post-revolutionary France with its committee of public morals and its committee of public safety. Similar things happened in 1917 after the Bolshevik revolution. Uh, revolutionary administrations do go this way. They say you cannot publish this. It would frighten the horses. Uh, NewsGuard has leaped straight to that stage, and it's even a step beyond, or a couple of steps beyond, the previous wave of so-called fact-checking sites, which attempts to find pickholes in the argument. Here, the, uh, the attitude is, you've got a narrative, uh, people might be confused by it, um, other authorities say different things. That's a level of journalistic clampdown that we haven't seen before. Uh, absolutely, but Alex, uh, on the issue of, of trust, um, what they're attempting to do is effectively uh, generate or create trust in, in, by claiming it for themselves. So they'll review The Guardian and they'll, they'll say, yeah, The Guardian's a trustworthy outlet or the BBC, the, the ultimate trustworthiness uh, there. Um, but, of course, them stating that, them stating that the BBC is trustworthy and the UK column is untrustworthy, that doesn't make it true. And people aren't necessarily, well, in fact, people aren't going to buy it. Well, that's the key thing you've honed in on there, Mike. Um, the full expression, uh, if you unpack trust, uh, the one that the social media giants and the mainstream media bodies now have in most English speaking countries is this catchphrase of trust and safety. Uh, they started off, I think, being called verification teams, but now they, nowadays they're called trust and safety. Now, if we think back 20 years to the global war on terror beginning, uh, people were mistyping with just one letter and coming out with this unfortunate phrase, global war of terror, that was closer to the mark. Um, what am I making with that point? I'm saying um, it's about feelings being central, right? And as soon as you say we're there to protect people from certain feelings, you have moved on from any kind of journalistic uh, or uh, 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 um, checking role. Now, trust and safety, or trust for short in this case, media trust, media standards, the, the, the whole uh, jargon of the 2010s that we've just uh, emerged from. Uh, trust is a feeling. Safety is a feeling. You cannot legitimately create feelings in your audience. I mean, we could go into the postmodern philosophy behind this, but the upshot of it is you cannot be assured that readers and viewers in their right minds with their own moral convictions and worldviews will come to the same feelings about evidence that's presented. And if you are aiming to produce a society where everyone gets a certain assured range of feelings and do not exceed the minimum or maximum limits, then you are already involved in mind control. Absolutely. How fascinating that you come to that point. Right. Let's uh, lift the lid. Let's lift up the rock in the garden and see what we find underneath. So here's um, NewsGuard's Internet site. Uh, we get lots of information off it straight away. Trust ratings for all the news sites that account for 95 percent of engagement written by journalists, not secret algorithms. Now, remember that little phrase, because there's there's a lot behind that. Transparency. It's always good to read, Mike. Absolutely. Transparent, accountable, and right in your browser. Okay, well, the young person who wrote to us uh, appears to be this one, uh, Braun Mayer. Um, what do we know? Well, they're a contributing analyst for NewsGuard based in London. Mayer has written political analysis and satire for the Duke Chronicle. He graduated from Duke University in 2016 with a major in international comparative studies so this is a child uh, this is a child now i'll just pop this photo up because very shy i couldn't find any pictures and i've got to say we don't know that this is the man but it seems to link back to that university and i'm going to come on to the university in a minute um is this the young man who, well could it be a young lady possibly i don't know is this the young person who's actually written the the email to us they talk about transparency but of course when you go on the website to actually find out about this person there's nothing there's nothing there yeah. so uh, what did i do well i followed along to see th and learn things which i didn't know so duke university does indeed have a magazine called the chronicle 
I went to have a look at the quality of that magazine and um, they've I think I'm going to have to use a very English expression they had their knickers in a twist over COVID because it's caused some problems at the university this was part of an opening article August the 5th there 7:30, on March the 10, 10th um, Liv McKinney was on a beach in the Bahamas it was Tuesday at spring break and McKinney then a senior and the Duke student government president was on vacation now my comment on this is this is pretty typical university stuff isn't it you can't afford a tin of beans uh, but for these people they're special because they're on holiday in the Bahamas and if we go to Wikipedia we find that the university is very special because it's a wash in money and um, so what have we got here private research university in Durham North Carolina one of the wealthiest private universities in America so that's a good place for this young person to have come from but it's a shame we don't know more about them but if we have a look at more on the university um, clearly it is it is awash with money uh, throughout the year the student organization finance committee doles out money to help fund speakers screening showcases and more when the campus closed to most students there was a hundred thousand dollar surplus left as there usually is Mike yeah. uh, when you're in the right places and what about this one the students came up with the idea of the money using the money left to set up a student assistance fund run by the student organization finance committee uh, but they had to acknowledge that when they were told there was four million uh, in the Duke's fund to help with this four million dollars uh, they felt that that would be a lot more successful mm. so they bowed to the fact that probably four million dollars was a better feed than a hundred thousand it's all good stuff um, now where does that take us well here's the NewsGuard advisory board of course there is an independent organization these people steer the strategic direction but they don't get involved in any day-to-day -day business they leave that of course to the little people so we've got uh, who we got we've got Don Bayer former chairman of Burston Cole Wolf former White House communications director Clinton administration well that's good John uh, Battelle co-founding editor of Wired uh, Sylvia Bencelli TV presenter Eves Clarissa uh, worked for 33 years interesting number in Reuters for various positions and Duncan former secretary of education of Balmer administration uh, chief executive of Chicago Public Schools Alina Fitcher former member of the chief uh, editorial team for Zeet online uh, Glenn Piero uh, Gramalglia if I pronounce that one so uh, Spencer University in Rome uh, and we've got retired general Michael Hayden former director of the CIA that's always useful if you want a bit of independent journalism so NewsGuard has got uh, retired former directors of the CIA but we shouldn't worry about that and um, if we go on down um, we've got Leo Hindry jr chairman and CEO of Trine Acquisition Corp Elise Jordan political analyst NBC Jessa Sin founder of the information on it goes Kate O'Sullivan general manager for digital diplomacy of Microsoft which includes the company's defending democracy program so Alex I've got a couple more to show but we shouldn't worry we've got ex-directors of the CIA we've got Microsoft um, this is really an organization we should stop thinking and allow it to police our uh, our media surely actually Brian I've got one up on you there I have personally asked questions to General Hayden uh, because before being director general of the CIA or director of the CIA is the title he was director of the National Security Agency and I went over on an analysts exchange and asked him some questions didn't seem very comfortable when I asked him about the basis of analysis actually he got a bit red in the face uh, as did Admiral Poindexter who was on the same stage that's another story um, back to uh, Mr Bron for a moment Bron uh, I didn't get the uh, surname Mayor, written down Mayor. but I've looked what's his surname again Mayor Mayor. Mayor well uh, I've looked up his dorm because uh, he's uh, plastered his dorm society all over the internet uh, it's named after Mircourt which is a beautiful town in the Vosges in France that's famous for violin making. But this Mircourt dorm in uh, Duke University, which is a very premier uh, university, uh, by the way, North Carolina, one of, the, one of the top 10 American universities. This dorm was set up for people who couldn't get into the Greek society. So it's like a chip on shoulder 
uh, house for those who you know who are, who are not part of the old school school tie network or the American equivalent. And that seems to inform the buffoonery involved. And look at the degree program you went for, International Comparative Studies. Anyone who, who wants to search for that, it seems to be unique to Duke in the whole world. You'll find it easily enough. Uh, the blog, which I just found, basically says, dear rich kid, you know nothing. You're at a loose end. By the time you've left our program, you'll know something about at least one part of the world and you will have transferable skills to be able to rise to the top of society. It looks like a sort of a, uh, an American Johnny-come-lately version of the PPE program at Oxford, really. Well, um, <laughs> Thank you for that amazing contrast, Alex, from deep state stuff with the CIA through to actually I have a little slide of the Maya court thing and I found it very Harry Potterish. So the story gets even better for all the Harry Potter fans out there. But let's just carry on through those advisory board people, um, because what do you need alongside the CIA? Well, you need somebody who's worked for NATO, Mike. So there's uh, Anders uh, Rasmussen, former prime minister of Denmark former Secretary General of NATO, he's now very worried that we only read the truth in, in the, yeah, right. Uh, Richard Sandbrook, Director of uh, Centre of Journalism at Cardiff University, former Director of Global News for the BBC, so a bastion of truth and uprightness there. And this one I found very interesting, Richard Stengel, former editor of Time magazine and Under Secretary of State for Public Diplomacy, Obama administration, and author Information Wars, How We Lost the Global Battle Against Disinformation, and What Can We Do About It? Do you think his uh, book might have something to do with what this organization is about, Mike? Yeah, there's no bias there at all. No bias it? at all. And at the bottom, if you've got an eagle eye, you will have spotted uh, Jimmy Wales, the co-founder of Wikipedia. Yeah. So even when I went searching for a bit of information on Wikipedia, I was in dangerous territory uh, because, of course, they own that as well. So let's have a look at some of the key players. And, uh, well, here she is. Uh, this is a lady I'd like to meet because I'd like to know what is behind those beautiful brown eyes. What does she think about? Anna-Sophie Harling is Managing Director for Europe at NewsGuard, based in London, New York. Prior to joining NewsGuard, Harling worked as Business Development Manager for a technology company in London and an international law firm in Germany. So lots of transparency there, Mike. Absolutely. We don't want to talk about those two. She's previously worked at two German newspapers, the Spiegel and the uh, Marquisha Algemeen. Harling graduated from Yale University, where she was a Yale journalism scholar. Um, Alex, these are all beautiful people, aren't they? They are beautiful, highly privileged people, and they're all involved in deep state power. Yeah, you've got two uh, generations mixing it there. You've got, uh, by the way, I noticed Ed Vasey, the uh, former uh, British government minister responsible for culture, media and sport as well, was on the board. You've got that generation of people who, who say, why are we losing the plot? Why are the plebs not following our script? And just to hark back to that conference in 2004, I mentioned the reason why Hayden and Poindexter were on the stage when they were still both in service at that point was that they, uh, they were trying to revive the 1980s programme of total information awareness, TIA. So that gives you a hint. And then you've got the younger crowd who are, as you say, beautiful people, kind of, you know, GTL priorities, you know, looking good, uh, sounding smart, going to vacuous programs, working for international law firms and, and mainstream media across Europe. All the same kind of agenda because their head is filled with how can I get the goodies? How can I present uh, a narrative that will uh, satisfy the kind of elite figures who are on the board? Uh, there's not much analysis going on there. Let's put it that way. No, the news guard I... without the news, perhaps more of the guard. <laughs> More of the guard and uh, yeah, brains with not a lot in it. But let's have a look at what this organisation says and claims about itself. I'm going to do this very quickly. We've got an eye on the time. How does NewsGuard News decide what sites to rate and how broad is its coverage? NewsGuard rates the more than 4,500 websites responsible for approximately 95% of all the news and information consumed and shared online in the US, UK, France, Germany and Italy. So are they telling us something there? Possibly. Like we've popped up 
in for in that which would be quite interesting how often does newsguard update its ratings and labels and how does newsguard newsguard handle sites that are suddenly trending with questionable reports could that be the uk column mm. and it hasn't yet rated them well as a matter of practice newsguard aims to review and refresh all sites every three months however more frequent updates will occur if circumstances warrant it such as change in ownership a change in practices or if the site wins an award or becomes embroiled in controversy <laughs> uh, the future looks good for uk column is new newsguard just another group of journalists trying to attack and stifle conservative media or left-wing media or protect established media against new competitor no 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 newsguard operates with full transparency except when it doesn't and disclosure with an identical approach to all news websites we use the same nine criteria for rating all websites these criteria are all established basic principles of reliable journalism whether for news-based sites or for opinion-based sites right i'm just gonna just gonna uh, challenge that a little bit now i have spoken to a couple of people that have been on the receiving end of newsguard in the last few months uh, some smaller organizations and the, the reports on the smaller organizations become very personal very quickly they want to know about the individuals who, who own and run those, those organizations the same type of investigation into personal investigation isn't happening for example with respect to the guardian uh, or some of the established media outlets so so we've got to challenge this uh, this response here yeah what you're basically saying is they're duplicitous uh, mike uh, which is the standard for these sorts of things let me go through it because it, i think it's important people really see the detail on this why should anyone trust newsguard because the leadership and staff of newsguard newsguard use apolitical basic criteria of journalistic practice for the ratings and because they're a group of trained journalists who have spent their careers dedicated to the profession sorry sorry let me understand this what age is this guy how many years is he out of university three how, three or what, four what career has he had he hasn't had any so he hasn't dedicated his career to anything so newsguard is spinning a line here yes yeah so let's follow it through isn't restricting speech bad yes it is and that's the best thing about newsguard it presents an alternative to the binary choice of blocking people from reading seeing something or letting the status quo prevail in which misleading uh, sorry which misinformation spreads indiscriminately and could look like real information newsguard offers a way to block nothing instead newsguard provides solid information about the thousands of news sources available online well all that sounds very good newsguard is not for profit why when we set out to rate all the news and information websites that account for 95 percent plus of online engagement in every country in which we operate we realized we would have to build up a large well-funded enterprise yeah can i just clarify you said not for profit then they're a they're a for profit oh, sorry for profit you're absolutely yeah. right uh, that was a freudian slip wasn't it because they really should be not for profit for profit business yeah well, why do you have an advisory board? We saw early on that there are important national security issues involved with addressing false news, misinformation, propaganda and disinformation. So we wanted advice on national security ramifications. So this is nothing to do with protecting the public. This is a deep state operation yeah. to uh, close down anybody who dares expose what's going on. Where do you expect to get the revenue you need? Uh, we're in licensing, licensing discussions with access companies such as internet providers and Microsoft has licensed NewsGuard. So it's all, yeah, it's all pretty straightforward. Well, is it? Um, why is trust important? Well, now we get into it. It says that Gallup conducted independent research in June 2018 entitled Assessing the Effect of News Source Ratings on News Content. This used the NewsGuard red and green ratings and write-ups as the model for the research. The results were highly encouraging, including on the topic trust. Respondents said that they would trust ratings and reviews if they were done by experienced journalists with diverse backgrounds. The research found that even the most partisan people would trust uh, red rated sites less and green rated sites more and be less likely to share or like news from generally unreliable sites so basically they're saying very clearly that they can censor online media by undermining sites with red labels 
uh, so people are discouraged from viewing and listening and judging the information on its own merit. And we've got them effectively saying, let us think for you. Now, I've got an eye on the time. I'm sure we can run over a bit. Alex, just to respond on that bit before I bring in what I think is killer information on this uh, despicable organisation. Well, Brian, it's, it's perfectly straightforward. Uh, the whole business model they've set out there and the uh, About Us and Who We Are pages you showed before that indicate a distinct lack of experts. They've got bright young things, uh, well, socially bright at least, uh, who don't have any experience or expertise of the uh, detail that they're going into. And they've got superior, arrogant people on top who've always been too wealthy and well-connected to have to think for themselves or think uh, outside a, a, a set narrative. So as Massive Passive just remarked in our chat box, uh, NewsGuard and their ilk are just not clever enough to take on the alternative media. And I'll, I'll bring that broader than just UK column. We're not just banging our own chest here. We have a stable across the English speaking world now of extremely bright people in the alternative media. They've been through a profession in public life or in some noble calling. They know how to wade out the crap, to put it bluntly. And every time that we're attacked by this outfit, we will completely outsmart them because we have much more life experience than they. Uh, well, I, I agree with that. And we are going to be asking our viewers and listeners to help with this. But let's just show what this organisation is really about. It didn't take long to find and its centre there under highlights, the centre of your screen, six million dollars suddenly poured into this organisation to get it going. And um, if you have a look at their own site, they do list their funders. I haven't had time yet to go through the lot. I'm going to ask our viewers and listeners to help me with this. Who are the people funding uh, NewsGuard and what are their personal interests and uh, what, are their what is their personal agenda? But uh, this one caught our eye, Publicist Group. Uh, very interesting, very powerful media organisation. So this is just one screenshot that I took because at the top it says COVID-19 navigating the impact on your business. So COVID-19 is good business for publicists because they can make money from clients on it. And uh, on their site, they link to an article um, by NewsGuard, two of their key people, Brill and Krovitz, announced launch of NewsGuard to fight fake news. And it's this, our goal is to help solve this problem now by using human beings, trained, experienced journalists who will operate under a transparent, accountable process to apply basic common sense to a growing scourge that clearly cannot be solved by algorithms. They got a problem because the algorithms are not picking up the truth. We're not going to make granular judgments about political leanings or which of two legitimate news sites, BuzzFeed News or the Boston Globe, for example, produces more reliable journalism, but we will tell readers the Denver Post is a real newspaper and that the Denver Guardian exists only as a purveyor of fake news. We'll do more on this in the, in the coming days and weeks because there's a lot more to cover. But this was a really interesting comment that they're in trouble because their algorithms are losing against the power base that you've just described, Alex. And it didn't take us long to find that Publicis has its own health division and surprise, surprise, who are the big clients? Well, they're pharmaceutical names, very big ones, including GlaxoSmithKline that uh, gave them a mere uh, 1.5 billion uh, into the media account. Uh, are we surprised then that we were asked questions about vaccines? And I think the answer is no. So if you value UK Column News, you want to see us stay and broadcasting, we'd like to invite our viewers and listeners to get researching and to dig out the information on NewsGuard and their journalists and to challenge them, of course, evidence-based, polite, reasonable. This is something you can really do to make a difference for free speech. Um, now, uh, many people asked us uh, by email over the last two or three days why we hadn't covered the Berlin protests from the weekend. Of course, this is mostly an Eastern Approaches type topic, so we kept it for today. Alex, uh, so uh, here's Axios. Uh, this is their coverage of it. Berlin protesters clash with police at massive anti-lockdown rally. Um, so they are uh, focusing on clashes with the police. Uh, and uh, Berlin police, they say, 
uh, said that on Saturday night, 18 officers were injured while trying to disperse a large crowd protesting Germany's coronavirus lockdown measures, according to a DW.com translation. Uh, and they quote the number of 17,000 people having uh, attended this. Uh, well, was it 17,000 people? Well, the only uh, German news outlet that seemed to uh, uh, offer any kind of real analysis here was Presse Online. Uh, and uh, well, let's just give a quick uh, translation of what it says at the bottom there. Uh, it says, uh, Berlin, thousands have demonstrated at the capital against the requirement to wear a mask to protect against corona infections. According to the organizer, around 1.3 million people gathered at the Brandenburg Gate uh, and on the Strasse. Uh, sorry, I can't. Uh, so anyway, it's on the 17th yeah. of. Uh, uh, yes, uh, who called for the protective measures to be relaxed uh, in chance. Um, well, a couple of the comments underneath this article were quite revealing uh, because it says here, thank you, Press Online. You seem to be the only one in the press who tries to paint an authentic picture, unfortunately a rarity these days. Uh, but it wasn't all good news because uh, somebody else asking, uh, why did they change the text? Uh, originally it said, according to police, about 1.3 million people gathered uh, and they seem to have changed it to according to the organizer. Now, there was no response from them uh, to that question. Uh, but Alex, uh, uh, some of the the original tweet that this organization put out also stated that uh, the police had said that 1.3 million people were gathered. The key wording, Mike, was that originally the Presse online article had the German phrase nach Polizeiangaben, according to police statements. Uh, there were 1.3 million uh, attendees. And then this was surreptitiously changed. Perhaps NewsGuard should get onto that because it's not good journalistic practice. But the Guardian always tries to uh, point these things out. Well, actually, it doesn't, but it, it's, it's supposed to. Um, there was no uh, authentication or, or um, uh, responsible uh, publication of the change. And the wording of, according to police statements, was changed to Lautveranstalter, uh, um, organizers claim, basically. Uh, so that was quite a major change. But as you read out there, it wasn't just the Brandenburg Gate, the famous uh, iconic heart of Berlin, that had people swarming around it. If you look at other sources, the whole of the Strasse des Sitzens in Juli, Juli, the big boulevard uh, with the tree lines along it, uh, leading up to the Brandenburg Gate was completely packed out. And at first glance, any common sense person would say this is upwards of three quarters of a million people to perhaps a million and a quarter, which is exactly the range that uh, most observers other than mainstream media have been talking about. Yeah. Uh, so, so I've had it confirmed from sources in Germany that it was something around a million. I think you've heard something along those lines as well. Well, well interestingly, we're, we're now being contacted by people in Germany who said, do you realize do you realise the size of this demonstration? And of course, why does the BBC not want to cover it? Because if people in UK see that Germans are brave enough to stand up and fight this ridiculous uh, thing, um, then um, uh, the pattern can follow here. So free speech has got to be closed down because this is a dictatorship installing itself. Well, in fairness to the BBC, they did cover it, but in not fairness to the BBC, they said 20,000 people, so they, they basically, it appears, lied. Alex? There is just no way that an organisation uh, as broad as this one, with everyone on the German alternative scene uh, who isn't a Marxist plugging it, from the ethno-nationalists on the far right, right back to left-of-centre critics, uh, all calling their viewers and, and readers for two or three weeks beforehand to attend. Uh, there is no way that that would get such a paltry turnout as 20,000 or even 100,000 people. It would be a, a great multiple of that. One of our viewers points out that the, the best analysis been put up today on this is by Oliver Young. J-A-N-I-C-H. People can find him on YouTube and uh, elsewhere. The most interesting moment when the skirmishes happened after 4 p.m. on the day, because it's just like a Westminster protest often happens. You know, it's peaceful all day and then the trouble starts towards the end about 4 p.m. The interesting thing was the police came and seized the microphone equipment. And then uh, Mr. Clemens Kubi, who is into alternative healing these days, he was one of the founders of the German Greens in the 70s, uh, took an improvised handheld tannoy and apologized to the attendees for having set up the German Green Party. He said they migrate and mutate faster than a virus, which I think was an interesting line. He then called on people to uh, take the power of money creation away from the banks. So that's that's the point at which the police were muscling in. 
Okay, thank you for that. Now, uh, just uh, quickly here, uh, Simon Dolan, of course, who has been running the uh, court case to try and uh, challenge the lockdown in the UK, uh, apparently lost his case a few weeks ago, as reported by Sky News here. Uh, well, he was tweeting out this morning, I haven't seen any update to this just yet, that uh, their appeal is to be heard. The judge acknowledged that there were uh, the most serious impositions on freedoms, raises fundamental issues uh, concerning the proper spheres for democratically accountable ministers of government and judges uh, is in the, uh, the, the uh, judgment. Uh, he said a full statement later, so we're looking forward to that. Now, if you like uh, what the UK Column does and you would like to support us, then please head over to ukcolumn.org forward slash community uh, and there are options to help us out uh, there. Uh, now, I'm going to just uh, move past the uh, the uh, economic stuff that we had because we're absolutely out of time. We'll cover this on Friday. Uh, and uh, Alex, I just wanted to say something about uh, and get your thoughts uh, on what happened in, in Beirut uh, yesterday uh, because absolutely, uh, clearly lots and lots of people have been killed and injured as a result of the explosion there. Um, and I just wanted to see what you thought about it. Well, I'll try to compress that into two or three minutes, Mike. It's, uh, it's it, the shock wave that people are seeing right now is a spherical compression wave. It seems to have a ground speed of something around a thousand miles an hour. Certainly footage taken from the motorways further away from point zero uh, suggests that kind of ground speed. And the red uh, dominated cloud that you can now see is claimed to be ammonium nitrate. Well, there's several problems with such a claim. I'll try to go through them and people can maybe count off the problems on their fingers if they like. Uh, this is mainly from Russian sources that I'm in touch with, so maybe I'm liable to treason prosecution under Boris Johnson's new proposed uh, legislation for, for even uh, amplifying Russian claims. But I've been in touch with some Russian sappers who are obviously some of the best in the world about this. But starting with the technical problems here, um, the white flashes, they look like phosphor flashes in the adjoining property before the uh, explosion. Some people have said um, they looked like fireworks going off, but there's far too much smoke there. Any pyrotechnic expert will say this, that that's not fireworks because obviously you're losing money if you produce fireworks that give off smoke. They're all supposed to be uh, flash and no smoke. Um, I think you have some more on that in just a moment and possible um, droppings uh, into the building from above. Then we have the red cloud of what may be ammonium nitrate. And the, my, my Russian contacts say about this is that they can pretty accurately determine what munitions were involved. And they judge that it was the 120 caliber of uh, mortar ammunition uh, that was in storage there, which is exactly the right grade that you would need um, to take out um, men from an encampment. Why am I getting into such detail that, uh, you know, that it seems to be 120 caliber, basically light shell uh, munitions being stored, looking at the signature there? This is not the big uh, compression wave I'm talking about, but the red explosion before that. Because if we look at the site involved here, this is the port area of Beirut. Beirut is a very communitarian city, of course, because of Lebanon's unique political settlement. That area around the port is controlled by the Sunni part of the um, Islamic half of Lebanon, basically. So there's no Hezbollah stuff there. Um, Turkey has been waging proxy wars in the whole region, as we've been and others have been increasingly covering. Turkey seems to be the culprit here. Why? Uh, because on the ground, Turkey is backing the GNA, the Tripoli government, uh, which uh, is obviously now threatened by General Haftar, or actually Field Marshal Haftar, who's getting increasing support from France and the United States. Um, this uh, Saraj government, the um, GNA government in Tripoli, is only really now backed by Turkey and the Italian Navy. Um, there have been problems between uh, Italy and France in the area. The long and the short of it is Macron and Trump, who of course have a rocky military relationship, but it does have its ups as well as its downs, have both delivered an ultimatum to the Turks and Italians to get out of the area. No sooner had they done, done so than this happened. So it looks like... I could go into more detail in extra time because we're pressed for time now. But the, the motive and the access and the modus operandi to me very much looked like the Turks covering their tracks as they thought they were about to have a warehouse discovered of munitions that were about to go off to Syria to give to the Tripoli uh, GNA government, or Saraj government, to fight General Haftar as he gains territory. So I say we can go into more in extra time, but uh, if NewsGuard want to follow us there and accuse us of Russian espionage, they're going to have to splash out on their Langley paid credit card, I think, to get a subscription. So we'll leave it at that for now. 
Yes. Okay. Well, thank you for Alex. Just uh, th thank you for that, Alex. Just quickly, uh, we'll move on to this. Uh, this is Greek City Times. Jihadist terrorist flag displayed in the Hagia mm -hmm. Sophia. Uh, and uh, of course, David uh, uh, Scott had been talking about the Hagia Sophia on this program a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and what they're saying in this article is a flag of the Islamic extremist terrorist organization uh, has been filmed and published in social media, uh, initially identified as an Afghan Taliban flag. Uh, but but the article here says, well, no, actually, it looks more like uh, a, a, um, it belonged to a, a group previously associated with ISIS uh, in Syria, but uh, more uh, recently associated with Al-Qaeda in Syria. It's all the same type of thing. Anyway, they're saying that the conversion of Hagia Sophia, Sophia was a motivational message from the Muslim Brotherhood to the world's Islamist extremists and terrorists. Uh, and uh, and so on. Now, Alex, um, I want to get your thoughts on this very briefly, but I also just want to highlight uh, a, a hugely interesting podcast that you've done on this uh, very issue. Uh, it's on the uh, Columns website at the moment. Uh, what's Erdogan playing at Turkey's neighbourhood tensions? And this takes an approach which starts from the religious angle, which you have to do in the Near East, and particularly when the story is about a religious building. So Gevorg Virats, whom I hope to be doing more podcasts with, who is a deep expert on the geopolitics and especially the religion and the history of Russia, Turkey and all its neighbours. And I, we, we go into detail about uh, what's going on here. Basically, we conclude that Turkey is completely encircled now. And I say this without any gloating at all, because the Turks are a very great and worthy nation. Uh, but their current government has led them to rack and ruin. And usual, as usual, they've overplayed their hand. Uh, they are in problems with about 12 of their neighbours now. And for those who wish to mug up on Lebanon, because I suspect we're going to be reading a lot more about Lebanon now, the lid has literally been blown off the country. Here's a good book by David Hurst, H-I-R-S-T, Beware of Small States. I don't share his political conviction, which is against nation states, but it's a very good guide to the complexity of Lebanon. If you read that, you will not be duped by the media in the uh, claims and counterclaim, which are surely going to follow about Lebanon. Yes, okay, thank you, Alex. And uh, just to end on this then, uh, meet Sir Philip Barton. Sir Philip Barton uh, has been appointed the permanent undersecretary for the new Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office because, of course, the Foreign Office and the uh, uh, Department for International Development have been merged. Um, so this is a new uh, permanent undersecretary for that. Uh, he uh, has been appointed by the Cabinet Secretary. Um, and, uh, well, what did Dominic Raab have to say about this? Uh, because as Foreign Secretary, it's, he's his permanent undersecretary. Uh, Philip is well placed to bring together the talent and expertise of both departments in a way that is innovative, ambitious and more integrated than ever before. This is fusion doctrine, uh, Brian. Yeah, uh, Mark yeah. Sedwell had a nice comment to say. He said, uh, he said this, I'm confident that the new organization will strengthen the UK's global leadership by aligning our development and diplomatic efforts fusion doctrine to bring more coherence yeah. to our international presence. And Alex, uh, the, the, uh, what I find particularly interesting about this man is that prior to, to uh, his various diplomatic roles um, in the Foreign Office, uh, he was uh, acting chair of the Joint Intelligence Committee in the Cabinet Office. Um, and th what this looks like to me is that as Mark said, well, is getting out, uh, more placemen are being put in place. So we've seen uh, the new the new C being announced, the, uh, and we've now got another intelligence community person being placed in a position. Um, so I just wanted to get your, your thoughts on that briefly before we close. Just on the issue of the new C, it's uh, only his family heritage. You know, that's not, not, nothing he can help. It's very interesting that his grandfather was a Cork IRA man at the time of the uh, Irish Civil War 100 years ago. And that would have been a complete no-no in vetting in the past, not as I'm insinuating anything about him, but uh, a sign of the, the times that Mr Moore gets to be uh, C. Now, more generally, what's gone on here is uh, you remember there was a wave of disgusted resignations from the diplomatic service from about the mid 2000s onwards, uh, protests against the way that the Blair administration had taken the foreign office. And the men who've risen up and increasingly women who've risen up the diplomatic ranks, particularly at HM ambassador level in the decade and a half since then, do sometimes have an interesting prior history with uh, secret agendas, either the intelligence agencies or 
privatized versions thereof before they get into the diplomatic service. This would never have been allowed in the past because diplomats were shaped from Oxbridge onwards. But the new breed do include some who, shall we say, have been batting for both sides before they even got into the FCO. And for them in their late career now to be placed uh, in, in charge of spookery is something we've never seen before in Britain. Yeah. OK, thank you for that. Right. Well, that brings us to the end of the news. We'll just sum up by saying we are seeing unbelievably dangerous things unfold in UK. So if you're viewing from overseas and you are still of the opinion that UK is the bastion of freedom and democracy and justice and all those things, you're sadly mistaken. There is a coup and that fusion doctrine is showing that uh, we have what government of occupation or Westminster of occupation in place. And we'll end by saying that if you value free speech and you value the UK column, we need your help to take on bodies like NewsGuard. What can you do? Go onto their site, read every word carefully, pick up the mistakes, the inconsistencies, uh, the, double standards. the double standards and challenge them. And of course, polite, reasonable, evidence-based emails if you get those going and the phone calls, uh, you, we can do something to stop this. But if you leave them being, of course, they've unlimited money by the huge pharmaceutical companies supporting in the background. Uh, we are going to see the end of free speech. It's up to you. It's up to us. I think we can do it. We'll end there. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back on Friday. Bye bye. Bye bye.